Welcome to FIO on the Air, the voice of the festivals and events industry in Ontario. Please welcome our CEO and your host, Dave McNeil. Hello and welcome to FIO on the Air. I'm Dave McNeil. Well, one week from today, we're going to have a different Ontario. October 17th, cannabis becomes legal in the province. Um, up until a couple of weeks ago, we were quite confident it wasn't going to affect the, affect the festival and events world. But on September 26th, the Ford government changed all of that. And now it's something that we're all going to have to get our heads around and get our grips as to how we're going to work with cannabis in our festivals, um, in our municipalities, and in all of our events. So I've assembled a small panel here. Uh, we've got Mark Crowell, an inspector with the Waterloo Police Service, Richard Anderson, who's the Executive Director of SmartServe Ontario, and Shannon Monroe, who's the CEO of Restaurants Canada. Um, we've, we've all been talking about this and trying to figure out how we're going to start and where we're going to go from here. And I think one of the things I'm confident of is we're going to end up with more questions than we have answers. And I don't think that's a bad thing. But realistically, this all changed on September 26th. Mark, can you, can you lead us into any... Thing from a police services point of view on on what this now does to enforcement and uh, smoking pot in Ontario? Sure. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate the opportunity to join you today. Um, from our perspective, uh, I mean, we've been preparing probably for a couple of years in terms of, uh, you know, bracing for change. And, and really, when you think about this, it's probably one of the most transformational policy and legislative changes that our, our country has seen. Um, so we've been working uh, for some time now educating our members on um, issues related to the you know the thoughts around enforcement um, particularly focusing on safe driving and just the uh, the interactions that our members will have through traffic stops and through just our public interactions overall uh, but you're right things have changed where uh, now uh, where we were preparing our members to to think about the model as a an extension of the Liquor License Act. We're now um, embracing uh, the legislation that's more in line with the Smoke-Free Ontario Act. So I'm happy to provide you some more input in terms of um, you know, how we've been preparing our members in terms of safe driving and, and also uh, the more event-specific uh, uh, details that might be pertinent to your members uh, listening today. Yeah, and I think that's a good place to start because up until the 26th, it was only something that was uh, going to be legal in private residences now anywhere that you can smoke in ontario i guess technically by the the new legislation you're able to uh, use cannabis as well yeah so the uh the ontario government has laid out um, on their website in the most up-to-date legislation and uh the guidelines that i think most ontarians are interested in hearing so I mean, we are bracing for an abrupt change where we will see and, and smell uh, members of the public smoking and vaping cannabis uh, on, in the streets, on the sidewalks, and so on. And um, certainly uh, outside of private residences, there will be uh, outdoor sta- spaces where uh, people will, will be, be doing that. Uh, but there are restrictions in place um, in terms of public areas. Uh, there's a long list of uh, places where you can you cannot consume and, and vape. And um, those are laid out uh, for, some, for some examples that, um, you know, in, in parks, uh, it'll be somewhere where it's possible to consume, but there will be protected areas uh, related to school grounds, children's playgrounds, uh, child care centers, and so on. Um, 
and also there's further restrictions related to um, workplaces, uh, long-term care homes, retirement homes, and, and so on. Um, and even ho in hotels and so on, there'd be uh, only consuming and vaping of cannabis in designated uh, guest rooms, and those that aren't designated uh, will not be uh, uh, open to the public for con consuming. So uh, some of our members had some questions, and I think one of the most common question was, and it sort of, Richard, maybe you can jump in here, and it sort of followed the smart serve model in that, uh, you know, when you're serving a, a patron alcohol, you're a re you're responsible for that person's consumption and, and their intake. Um, cannabis opens up a whole different model in that you're not providing the cannabis to the consumer, but are you still assuming the liability for him? So I think the short answer is yes, and the reason I would say that is the Liquor License Act has always prohibited the sale of alcohol to intoxicated individuals, but uh, it also dealt with impairment uh, in the act with either medication or cannabis, either illegal or illegal. And there's no question that our program didn't focus heavily on that, but it was always a factor. So I think the issue for a server now is not to detect cannabis or other drugs, which you are not experienced to, to do, but uh, it is all about intoxication. So you would continue your due diligence as you do now, monitoring your uh, patron to determine if they show signs of intoxication. Um, and again, that's regardless of whether it's alcohol, it could be anything. And I think it's important to note uh, that this has always existed, that people have always consumed uh, medications or drugs of some sort uh, and then, you know, tried to purchase an alcoholic beverage. So I think it really is a, a mind shift and much more diligence and kind of monitoring your patrons. And Shauna, maybe you can help me out here. If you're a venue, uh, a restaurant or um, just a, a, a wedding convention center or whatever, as an owner, do you have the ability to disallow the use of cannabis in your smoking areas? Well, I mean, listen, this whole decision that was made caught a lot of people off guard, um, especially from a liability standpoint. Um, smoking is restricted um, within restaurants, both within the interior of a restaurant and on the patio. Um, there are designated areas that must be within a certain footage of the restaurant. So I think that that is how we are going to continue moving forward uh, with the decisions that have been made most recently by the Ontario government uh, when it comes to the smoking laws. Um, and, I, and I think that really does assist the restaurant business owners, operators, on how to manage this as they move forward, especially from a liability standpoint. And Mark, from a policing point of view, do you think a venue would be able to say that, uh, no, we don't want marijuana vaping or smoking on our premises? Would they have that right? Uh, it's, it's a great question. I mean, certainly uh, the, the information we have at this point is that uh, what matches currently with the Smoke-Free Ontario Act and for, for a private venue uh, to be able to put restrictions uh, will, will simply be on, online with what currently exists. Uh, if they have designated areas, uh, I understand there's distance restrictions from patios and so on. So I think what's in line currently with the uh, the smoking and vaping uh, will continue uh, with the introduction of cannabis. Does anybody think we'll see different areas where there's a, a cannabis smoking area 
and a regular smoking area? It's interesting because um, as I continue to read a number of different articles out there, you have a number of different venues speaking up and saying that they do not want to see cannabis consumed within that designated area and therefore would either ban smoking totally or they would um, potentially work on having a designated area. So let, let's see where this moves. Let's see where this goes anyways in the future. So as it stands right now, does a venue or a restaurant have the ability to say we don't have a smoke? smoking area and there's no smoking on our premises? Geez, that's, it's, a, it's a really good question. I mean, I know today that there's no smoking within or on the patio of a restaurant. Um, it must be within 20 feet of the restaurant location. Um, so I'm not sure if, if that would be the right of a restaurant owner to be able to do that or just uh, to you know, at least implement that. And Inspector uh, and Richard, I guess I'll throw it out to both of you. When it comes to enforcement of the Smoke-Free Ontario Act, that's done by municipalities and bylaw enforcement officers, is that correct? That's correct. I mean, we work closely with our municipal bylaw partners uh, for a number of investigations. Uh, Sometimes it's a straightforward bylaw call uh, where it doesn't involve involve police at all. And other times uh, we work in coordination and partnership uh, with attending calls for service uh, if there's additional issues related to, um, you know, safety, intoxication, um, people where, uh, circumstances where there's uh, resistance, uh, potentially trespassing issues and so on. So um, as usual, everything's uh, incident specific, um, but certainly uh, the primary smoke-free Ontario enforcement come from our, our bylaw partners. Richard, from everything I've read, the AGCO is going to be responsible for the operation of cannabis stores and selling points. But are they going to be responsible for enforcement? Um, Will it affect your liquor license if you have people that are high beyond what they should be, even though you haven't served them anything? I think uh, the interesting part of that is obviously the uh, AGCO was determined to be the regulator very recently, uh, although the regulations are not complete, uh, so it puts them in a bit of a precarious position, but uh, it has not been announced whether they're the enforcement agency, but it only makes sense that they would be. So in my mind, it really means that you're going to have potentially the same inspector uh, coming in to deal with alcohol and cannabis together. And uh, I, I think that you know it should be about education. It should be about making sure they come in and speak to the owners and the licensees to make sure they understand the impacts. But I think at the end of the day, um, you know, the the liability does uh, belong to the owner and the server, and it's important that they educate themselves on uh, how to properly address that. And Shauna, you must be getting some feedback from your uh, association and your members that, I mean, this is going to obviously have an impact on revenue. I mean, people will make a choice whether they're going to use cannabis or they're going to consume alcohol. Alcohol they're buying from you, cannabis they can bring in on their own. It's a, it's almost a free-for-all. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I think there's both opportunities and liabilities for restaurants and food service businesses to consider. Um, I think from a QSR food sales perspective, um, you know, people talk about those who use cannabis get the munchies. Let's say it that way. Um, while there are, you know, right now there's no data that clearly suggests that food sales have increased. 
but there's also no data that supports that there's any decrease. And I think QSR operators may get more customers in the door by potentially marketing to them. Um, as long as they, you know, um, stay aside of the Canada's highly restrictive cannabis advertising regu- regulations, um, I think I think another area um, that potentially, you know, people are all talking about from a food service perspective is edibles. Um, the federal government announced that Canada would follow the U.S. within, I think it was 12 months of the date of legalization. Um, you know, businesses are going to want to develop their own cannabis-infused and products and beverage products to sell. Um, and I think the opportunity to sell pre-packaged cannabis-infused products may also be something for consideration. But I think that Canada will likely prohibit selling both alcoholic beverages and edibles from within the same premises. It'll be most likely one or the other. So, um, you know, we we also talk about lounges. I mean, you know, I can see how uh, some businesses will consider uh, setting up a lounge nearby their local restaurant because of the potential opportunities um, and those, those snack options that people want to look for. Um, and then the whole retail side is another part of the equation uh, where the regulatory framework, you know, permits um, enterprises to obtain a license to sell cannabis products uh, from a retail outlet. Um, and I think we all heard where Second Cup may convert some of their locations to serving cannabis and becoming a retail outlet. You know, those are some all the opportunities that may exist with cannabis. But alongside of that, there is definitely some liabilities that operators need to consider as well. And as I understand it, municipalities have to make the decision by January 22nd, I believe it is, on whether they're going to sell or allow the sale of uh, marijuana in stores in their municipality. Uh, how many stores or, or whatever I think is still up in the air between the the provincial and the municipalities. That was... Um was following that yesterday with uh, Attorney General's uh, press briefing in the Empire Club, and uh, there was some pretty clear messaging on that, that municipalities will be able to decide the um, location and existence of stores in their communities, uh, and they feel that they're giving sufficient notice uh, for that those conversations and discussions to be ongoing now. And they're also very clear about the existence of um, storefronts that are distributing cannabis right now in terms of... Um, the messaging about getting in line. Um, there are obviously storefronts and uh, businesses that continue to push the envelope, um, feeling that they may be able to uh, roll right into continuing business when the legislation changes. And the messaging from the government yesterday was that um, they need to comply with uh, the change of legislation and that those unlicensed stores that continue to operate um, will not only be continued uh, from an enforcement perspective uh, to draw attention from police, but also uh, jeopardize their potential future licensing through the AGCO. So that messaging was, was pretty clear um, in the recent uh, conference uh, from the government. You're listening to FIO on the air. We're talking about cannabis and the upcoming October 17th deadline. More when we return with FIO on the air. Festivals and Events Ontario supports a lively, engaged, and dedicated festival and events industry. Purchase your Festivals and Events Ontario membership today and get a team of people working to help you succeed. Here's just a few benefits that membership provides. Promotion, saving money, networking, industry awards, supplier discounts, communications, skills development, and so much more. 
so many benefits, so little cost. Buy your membership today. Contact us now, Debbie at festivalsandeventsontario.ca. The voice of festivals and events in Ontario. FIO on the air continues. Here again is our host, Dave McNeil. We're up in smoke on FIO on the air. We're talking about cannabis and the implication that it's going to have for our festivals and events come October 17th. We've got Mark Crowell from the Waterloo Regional Police Service. He's an inspector. Richard Anderson, the executive director from SmartServe Ontario. And Shannon Monroe, the CEO of Restaurant Canada. Um, Richard, I'm going to start with you. Um, as we enter into this new world order for Ontario, depending what end of the joint you're on, how how are you changing or how are you incorporating that training module into SmartServe Ontario? I think that's been one of those uh, magical questions that we ourselves have been trying to answer. Uh, certainly, it's taken a long time for every province to determine what their rules and regulations are going to be around cannabis. Uh, we certainly feel it's important to let our servers know and certificate holders know what the signs of intoxication are um, with cannabis and certainly with cannabis and alcohol together. I think the dilemma is is that there is no uh, approved by the Ontario government uh, I guess, official symptoms of intoxication. I think if anyone were to Google it, you would, would easy enough find out what they are. But I think until the government has uh, wrapped its head around that, that's what we're waiting for. And, and when we do get that, we're happy to include it uh, to make sure that our servers are uh, aware of it and can certainly keep an eye out for it. Now, would that be uh, an, an adjacent part of your SmartServe program? Like would people that have been part SmartServe prior to October 17th, would they have to go back in and take this new module or? Certainly, I don't think it's our intent to create more work and make people pay again. Although I can tell you, we haven't set our plan in motion, but I think really there's uh, uh, two distinct products here. So you've got a product that retailers of cannabis are going to have to take. Uh, and, you know, who knows who's going to be delivering that program. And then you've got, obviously, the crossover to those that are SmartServe trained. So I think uh, while we can ensure uh, our servers are, are trained in both, uh, I think that this other product, whatever it ends up being, will be specific to the retailers of cannabis, the different types of cannabis, etc. So I think uh, uh, there is a little bit of time uh, until April 1st to determine that part. But as far as SmartServe goes, we would uh, certainly like to have something in there as soon as we can. And when we do, we'll uh, post that on our website for our certificate holders so that they can uh, educate themselves. And Mark, from a policing point of view, um, every municipality is a little bit different. But generally, I guess you're going off of the same legislation and the same interpretation. How are, like you said, you've been preparing for two years to get ready for this. What are some of the things that you guys have been doing to ensure that your, uh, you know, your people on the street are ready for this next week? I would say that uh, the, the biggest focus that we've had and, and the steps that we've taken over the past number of years have focused on road safety. And um, currently we have 14 drug recognition experts or DREs that are trained uh, to focus on um, impairment specifically by drug in coordination with uh, alcohol impairment. And uh, it's just been a standard practice uh, 
for our service to train all incoming officers on what we call a standard uh, standardized field sobriety testing. And this is roadside testing uh, to to look for the effects of drugs, alcohol, um, impairment, and so on. So we feel that we're well prepared, uh, and certainly we plan to uh, to increase uh, our ride programs uh, throughout the Waterloo region uh, as as the, the months unfold, and ensure we have a robust uh, public uh, education campaign uh, um, surrounding uh, what we're calling high stakes. Uh, quote unquote, uh, just to ensure people are well aware of not only the impacts of uh, drug impaired and alcohol impaired driving, but also um, you know the impacts on on their health, uh, the potential safety issues involved. And and from a police service point of view, you guys have other issues that you have to deal with as well. Uh, I remember hearing Chief Larkin speak at the Ontario Municipal Association conference, and and. The thing that really lasted with me was that anybody that thinks that somebody's going to walk away from $1.4 billion in sales, the black market, so to speak, you're still going to have to deal with that, right? Certainly. And, and we have been and we will continue to deal with uh, this shift. I mean, really, the rationale laid out uh, from the government uh, focuses on uh, countering the black market and organized crime as it goes uh, with drug trafficking and distribution. That will certainly continue to be a focus. Um, illegal storefronts and uh, distribution points and uh, and growing uh, facilities uh, will continue to be an enforcement uh, point. Um, but really, a, a lot of the emphasis is on uh, really public health and impact uh, on the community. And if there is a uh, uh, you know an identified need to ensure that our, our youth and uh, children are, are kept safe and out of harm's way, certainly there'll be. Uh, a collaborative community effort to ensure that we're working with all of our municipal uh, partners, uh, community partners, and so on, to ensure that uh, you know we're we're doing a good job educating the effects of uh, drugs and alcohol uh, consum- consumption and, and keeping you know uh, our youth out of out of harm's way as much as possible. And Sean, I'm going to lead this question in, to you, um, and it's going to affect all of us anyway, because even though the festival and event world isn't a large employee base, it's getting larger, but you know we're, we're primarily a volunteer base, and we've got to be sure that our volunteers aren't high while they're serving and doing other things. From a restaurant point of view, smoking and consuming drugs in the workplace, that must be something that is top of mind to the restaurant owners as well. Well, it definitely is. I mean, we are um, we are really looking to gain more clarity from government at all levels, and and in order to provide and educate um, restaurant owners and operators across the country, there's a number of things that we are doing in order to do this. Um, on October 15th, actually, we're working with George Brown College and what they call the Entrepreneur's Guide to Cannabis-Infused Edibles and Beverages. It's sponsored by Restaurants Canada. And and what we're looking for is really a wide array of speakers with different areas of expertise in order to help educate operators, chefs, to what to expect with the uh, whole launch of uh, legalizing cannabis. So it is definitely... um, an area that we believe we need to continue to educate and and really identify what those potential risks and liabilities are for the industry, such as duty of care, reserving alcohol, um, you know, talking about augmenting smart serve training, as Richard spoke to, impacting on 
what the impact is going to be on alcohol sales, um, impact on food sales, dealing with employees consuming impaired uh, by cannabis themselves, and what the impact on, on customers will be uh, within the proximity to retail stores in itself. And, you know, let's talk about edibles. Let's get it on the table. But there's a lot more clarity that needs to be told by government. And, and I think we're really working on working with a number of strategic partners across the country in order to educate operators, owners on what the impact will be and how they can prepare themselves uh, for this. I mean, even within their own policies, within their own business, um, when it comes to their employees, uh, they need to be prepared. So there's, there's much at stake here. And uh, we really at Restaurants Canada, we're working with government to identify those opportunities, but as well as those liabilities, uh, so we can bring clarity to the issue. We're also holding a ton of webinars and educational forums when it comes to this subject, and we will continue to do so as we continue to learn uh, what the regulations will be in each province across the country. Yeah, one of the things that really got to me, and, and I guess I can include myself in that group, is the number of people that didn't realize kids vaping on the street are actually smoking up you know (laughs) and you know that that just goes down the line you know i i know of a lot of restaurant owners and you know uh event space owners whether it's a ski hill or a golf course that didn't realize their employees were were doing drugs on the job when they thought they were just out having a vape yeah you know i'm not sure how i feel about all of this (laughs) but you're right um it's you know, I think I think one of the things is to ensure that the focus is on their policies of distinguishing between recreational and medical use of, of cannabis. Um, and really, their duty from a restaurant perspective is to accommodate the latter. And this may trigger under the, whether it's provincial or federal human rights legislation. So um, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how this moves forward. We had a couple people write in with a few questions, and I'm going to throw the two of them out right now. And, and they all, they're all around liability because, um, you know, people are afraid of their license and, and more and more liability is being passed down to venue operators or event managers. And, you know, here's one area where you could assume all of the reliability, liability for something that you haven't sold, given out or, or done anything with. And, and you well, know, how, how many people will close down and not operate because they don't want that added liability? I think there's no question to have a liquor license in this province. Um, you know, you need to sometimes uh, have your head examined, I say jokingly. Uh, it, it does uh, carry with it a lot of stress, a lot of training requirements, and a lot of liability. And you have to constantly check in with your employees, constantly remind them, uh, of, of their personal responsibility. So I, I think this just adds, a, you know, just an extra bit to that whole uh, stress of managing um, a facility and a, and a restaurant and a bar and managing uh-huh. the intoxication level of your patrons. So it, it certainly adds more and adds more stress. So there's no question it's going to make things a little more interesting for, for owners, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I'll add to that. I, I think uh, restaurant businesses, uh, which serve alcohol are well aware of the law between the owner and the patron. Um, they, the restaurant and the bar owners, already have to ensure that their staff who serve alcohol are properly trained. 
so that, you know, they will not be legally liable if a customer causes any personal injury or property damage after consuming alcohol. But the legalization of cannabis use might really lead to an increase of cannabis consumption. And I mean, I'm, I'm making this assumption. Um, and, and, and not only that, but the various methods used. So this may be difficult for them to detect the different for each consumer, because I think every consumer will react differently to, to its use. So I, I think for servers to track cannabis consumption, it's not going to be quite like alcohol today. So I, I, I think it's going to be really challenging for them yeah. as we move forward. Yeah, Richard and, and, and Shauna, you know, when you're serving alcohol, you've got several different touch points, whether it's the waitress or the bartender as you go up to yeah. to purchase those those alcoholic beverages. With marijuana, are you to be monitoring each person as they go out and watching how many times they're going to the smoking zone? Uh, is that something that, maybe Mark, you can jump on this. Is that something that security is now going to have to monitor and watch? Um, because we're not serving those people anything, but they're still, they're still consuming. I would say that uh, from a police standpoint, I mean, we're, we're already pretty vigilant in monitoring uh, behavior um, the ongoing effects of alcohol and drugs. And we're not naive to know that it's, it's, it has been and continues to, to be an ongoing uh, issue. It, if we think about many of our uh, public venues, um, in Waterloo Region, we have um, in a large student community. Uh, we have uh, Oktoberfest, um, the various uh, St. Patrick's Day, Safe Semester events, even some large festivals, uh, concerts, and so on. So this has become quite a, a regular occurrence where we're actively monitoring uh, from a security standpoint uh, what's coming in uh, with people to, to the different venues. And uh, we'll just continue on as we have been monitoring issues of safety, impairment, and so on. And uh, I can just say from a, our coordination with those who are serving alcohol and, and providing services at restaurants and, and so on, I think we have a good partnership. I think people are not shy to to call the police for assistance when they feel that uh, situations out of hand that somebody requires either, either medical attention or they're at risk uh, for their own safety or to get in a, in a car. So uh, I, we are entering into the unknown in some respects, but at the same time, it is business as usual in many many ways. I was just going to say, you know, today I've always spoken about it, and Richard and I have spoken about this often. Is that you know, SmartServe does not distinguish, or any of the other uh, programs we have across Canada, doesn't distinguish the difference between alcohol um, impairment or drug intoxication. So servers are already trained today to observe some of those behaviors. I think we just have to be more do, you know, do be more diligent on looking for some of those traits. But again, I think that will differ by patron. And um, and we do have a great relationship, and and servers know today that they can deny serving someone alcohol if they see any of these signs. I've got another question that came from one of our members, and and it, it's more um, designed along those uh, events that happen on the street, uh, whether it's the Elvis Festival in Collingwood or it's the Blues Fest in Kitchener. How how do you monitor and and what's the responsibility of the organizers for those public spaces where I guess quite frankly people could be walking up and down the street smoking and an organizer has no real right to to do anything. I think the the, uh, the key moving forward will be the just clear definition of space. I mean, 
when we plan our events, um, certainly there's a lot of consideration is going into what, what exactly are the boundaries. Um, a lot of uh, work has gone into staffing our events appropriately with police personnel, our auxiliary members, and then working in coordination with, say, municipal partners, volunteers, and then private security. So really a lot of this is going to come down to clear boundaries and definitions in terms of what is private, what is public. So you may have, uh, you know, a barricaded area where the public, on the public side, they can consume. But then from the private venue side, they may be very clear uh, uh, distinguishing uh, um, areas where people cannot uh, consume vaping uh, or smoking cannabis or tobacco or anything else. So I think from from the policing and and the private uh, venue standpoint, it'd just be about clear boundaries and uh, identifying the locations. Um, just in terms of the venue's uh, description that they've, they've described already uh, on their website, they, they talked about reserved seatings at outdoor and, and entertainment locations um, or out, out, uh, outdoor areas on patios and restaurants um, and so on. So that they've already started to lay out uh, the geographic restrictions on where cannabis will be able to be consumed and and it'll certainly be an evolving discussion moving forward. Now, just from an event perspective, I'm, I'm wondering, is that another cost that's going to be passed on down to the organizers in that if you now have to barricade a whole street area that you're saying is, is your confined space, you've already have to barricade and isolate your drinking area. You have to barricade and isolate your smoking area. Is that the type of barricading you're talking about, or are you talking about just enforcing boundaries and i think it's just enforcing boundaries i mean um again when we just think about the parallels to smoke free ontario act and what is private what is public i mean what what is allowable right now i mean what happens at say a concert event a large festival event um you know and so on i mean that that those those same um enforcement techniques will carry through um from a cost standpoint I, I don't know if there'll be additional resources that will be required for venues uh, to be considered. I can say from uh, Waterloo Regional Police perspective, uh, we, we have been challenged in recent years with the growth of some of our uh, festivals and events, and, uh, and that our ability to staff uh, events uh, has been challenged. And uh, we have asked more from our, our private uh, venue partners uh, in terms of private security and uh, and getting creative in terms of how we plan for and staff many of our events. You're listening to FIO on the air. We're talking about cannabis and, and what might and what can and what probably will happen come October 17th. Back in just a minute with FIO on the air. Festivals and Events Ontario has entered the world of podcasting with FIO on the air. Join us as we sit down and chat with the movers and shakers of the festivals and events community. The goal is to share insight, advice, planning techniques, and overall strategy with you, our FIO members. On the next podcast, would you like us to interview someone specific, cover a particular topic, answer a question? Let us know. FIO on the air wants to give you what you need to succeed. Contact us now, Dave at festivalsandeventsontario.ca. Welcome back. FIO on the air continues. Here again is our host, Dave McNeil. Welcome back to FIO on the air. Mark Crowell, an inspector with the Rotterdam Regional Police Force, is with us. Richard Anderson, the executive director of SmartServe Ontario. And Shauna Monroe for the CEO of Restaurants Canada. We're talking about cannabis and the effect on festivals and events coming up October 17th. Um, 
one of the things, and, and we were just talking about it in the break, is, you know, our members have lots of questions. They've, they've got, obviously, what the liability is a huge, huge issue for all of them. And, you know, sometimes when they're, if we don't have the answers, you know, it, it seems like we're not doing our work. But, uh, you know, I think each of us can share examples of where we're asking the questions, but we're not getting the answers. I'll just jump in and, and say from a, a police standpoint, um, you know, we, we have been, as much as we've been planning for, uh, you know, changes that are to come, um, the recent, most recent changes have caught us, and I think the police community somewhat off guard, uh, just in terms of the final steps that uh, as, we, as we look to uh, ensure our members are well-versed in, in, uh, in terms of their expectations and for their interactions with the community and the public, um, certainly there's some last minute details in regards to the actual application of the laws um, as they're going to be laid out. Um, but I can also say that uh, we're certainly focusing on the fundamentals and that is safety. Uh, road safety is a primary consideration. And, uh, and when it comes to the, the overall uh, issues related to the, the growth and the distribution of cannabis, um, really the, the emphasis is on safe supply. So we'll continue to do our work uh, to focus on uh, illegal activities uh, as things roll out. And uh, I think it'll speak for us all that there will be some, some tough lessons learned as we move ahead. Um, we are heading into the unknown and, um, you know, we'll work through these, uh, certainly from the policing standpoint, uh, uh, with some common sense and, and hopefully uh, with some uh, good graces from the public as well. And Shauna, I'm sure your members have more questions than answers as well. How are you, how are you dealing with those? Well, um, we continue to look for more clarity from uh, government at all levels. Um, we are holding a number of webinars and um, educational forums in order to uh, identify the risks and the opportunities for operators. Um, I think the key focus for us is duty of care, and that is as it relates to serving alcohol to cannabis consumers. Um, but there, you know, there are, it's an unknown territory that we're entering. And, and I think, I think the first few months, uh, are going to be a bit chaotic, especially at the municipal level. Um, people, businesses are, are wanting to know, uh, what they are allowed and not allowed to do. So it's, uh, I think we're, we're going to continue to focus and provide information to, our members on our website and through these different forums that we're holding and strategic partnerships, um, sitting on panels to continue to keep everyone abreast of what's coming down the pipeline. But we're learning ourselves as we go along and, and we look forward to working with the government uh, in order to identify uh, how we will move forward and, and what the, the, the regs are really going to be for the future. And Richard, your organization obviously is a big part of the informing of the impairment and signs and what to look for. Uh, where are you reaching out when you need a question answered? I think in our quest to make sure that we uh, deliver the right information, I think there's been a lot of uh, misinformation out there that, you know, we participate where we can in, in panels and discussions like this. But uh, we've had the opportunity to go to cannabis consultations with the uh, new provincial government. Uh, uh, similar to yourself, I had the opportunity to go to the Association of Municipalities of Ontario and, and listen to some of the strategy there. Uh, SmartServe has been researching back to the release in Colorado when cannabis came out to continue to understand it and, and 
try to get ahead of the curve. And, and what I would say to you every time is more questions tend to come out of it. And uh, I, I think that's for sure why the uh, Ontario government decided to delay the retail component for the stores until April to give them that time to, to develop some of that. So I, I think it was probably the right thing to do, and that gives us a little more time to evaluate. But I think in moving forward, we're definitely going to see uh, some court challenges to this, and it's going to have to work itself through the system, and uh, time will tell as, as we get through this. And I know at Festival Ontario, as we continue to work on, on finding that information for our members, we'll continue to do that as changes comes. Uh, you know, we can do another podcast. We certainly have it at our conference. We've got a panel. Hopefully by February 27th, we'll have more answers than questions. But uh, but who knows? Um, anybody, any of our events or festivals that have questions, uh, you know, other than going to their municipal police forces, uh, their municipal councils, Anywhere else that people should be going for to get more information or to get those ans- questions that they have answered? I would say in line with what you've said already, Dave, is that if, if they're members of associations, uh, they can start there, uh, monitor what comes out in the news, uh, reach out to, you know, Restaurants Canada, SmartServe, those types of organizations. And I think this government, too, is being doing the best they can in communicating as they have new uh, policy to, to issue. So I think a bit of all of those uh, that are best practices and I would recommend that for sure. Well Mark, Richard and Shauna, I thank you for joining the conversation today. Uh, Look forward to speaking with you all as we progress through this new Ontario and this new scene that we're all about to embark on Um, and uh, look forward to having you all at our conference to share in the panel discussion as well. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you've got a topic you'd like to talk about on FIO on the air, please send us a note. Dave at festivalsandeventsontario.ca. Thanks for listening to FIO on the air. Thanks for listening to FIO on the air, the voice of festivals and events in Ontario.